again. Well, I can do next Tuesday. Uh, so what this nar narrativia thing? Explain it because I skim read the article, realized that it was Rihanna and Rob in charge of some Discworld stuff and uh, retreated happy that it was in good hands. But I expect you've done a bit more. Well, so Narrativia is, a, is the production company that is effectively in the hands of uh, Rihanna and Rob. And theoretically, like all Discworld content was going to come from that. The reason the what, the, but the watch isn't Narrativia. Yeah. There was some weird thing that happened with the rights there. Because Rihanna and Rob haven't actually out and out said, we're not happy with what they've done with this. But they have definitely, like, when the, all the casting announcements and photos came out, they both yeah. tweeted an article Ursula Le Guin wrote about really hating t certain TV adaptations of her work. Cool, cool, yeah. Which is uh, a very good article. Although I actually really like the Studio Ghibli version of The Wizard of Earthsea. I am not familiar enough with any of that to comment, but... I'm pleased that Rihanna and Rob found a passive-aggressive way to disapprove of stuff. Yeah. So they, as Nar Narrativia, have signed a deal with this TV production company. And mm -hmm. everything apart from The Watch, I think, that is a screen adaptation of Discworld will come from this company going forward. Does that mean that they can't do their own version of Watch stuff? I don't know, because the, the BBC America one is inspired by rather than based on yeah i don't see why they couldn't i don't i i don't know enough of the ins and outs of what the legal stuff is i just don't understand why the bbc america one even bothered using the names and the... well this is what i keep saying is like just as a tv show that has been announced yeah like it looks pretty cool it looks like a cyberpunk fantasy police procedural like that's very much my yeah. bag I think they could have said inspired by Terry Pratchett's The Watch and if they hadn't used all the character names and stuff they wouldn't have had the kind of fan backlash. Yeah, but then I think if they weren't going to even use the character names there's no point saying it's inspired by. No, that's it true. It almost seems like what's happened there is someone who someone who is involved in this is admittedly a fan of the books but also just had this very cool idea they wanted to do and it's so difficult yeah. for completely original things to get commissioned that by saying it's based on a book series, it could be commissioned and made, and then they've gone ahead and made what they wanted to make. Is it as difficult in the States as it is here? Yeah, there isn't... Because... And it's, it's going to get worse over the next... Like, creative stuff is really going to go downhill, I think, over the next few years, because... Oh, yeah, there's just going to be some shit not made in the next well, yeah, couple no, of years. Yeah, no one there? can film at the moment. So everything that's on the slate for later this year and next year, like, there's already been series that... Uh, weren't quite done filming before lockdown started so they should have had their finales yeah. airing and instead they've done like a truncated finale and said we'll do a real finale when we can including actors who were signed off to leave at the end of a series who've now had to agree to come back and do a one-off film session yeah um but yeah as even before all of this stuff like places don't like taking risks because remakes and based ons and sequels are a safe bet because people or because half the advertising's done people already have an attachment to the property yes okay that does make sense i expect there's enough people who enjoy Duskworld who aren't as finickety as the hardcore fans well, at the end of the day even the people who are finickety are going to watch it if, if only so they can bitch about it i will uh 
let you watch it and then tell me whether I'm going to watch it or not. You're going to have to watch it so we can do some episodes on it. <laughs> oh, fuck, yeah. All right, fine. Uh, oh, side note. Have you been watching uh, Have I Got News For You, the remote like Zoom meeting version? Yes, I have. They're brilliant. Oh, they're so good. I'm so proud of them. I love... I love that the BBC did that. The I think it was really well. well done. Yeah, which, by the way, now I'm going to bitch about the BBC, having just praised them. iPlayer's UI is fucking atrocious. Oh, God, it's awful. The MASH report, there was no way to get to the MASH report without searching for yeah. it. And this is something I've watched in the past. I've, 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 I must, as a viewer, show every sign of wanting to watch the next season. And I didn't know it was on until it popped up in a trailer. I only knew because I follow Nish Kumar and Rachel Paris on Twitter. Like, mm. I haven't seen the BBC tweeting about it. So I missed the first three. Yeah. It's been really good. I've really enjoyed it. But yeah, no, the UI on BBC iPlayer, especially, which, how are you accessing it? Are you doing it on... PS4. Yeah, no, the PS4 app is the worst. It's slightly better on browser, but... Yes, it is. Yeah, because I, I do watch the odd thing on, on the computer. But, um, the app on, uh, on Apple stuff. Like, Does it work on Apple TV? No. I don't think you mm. can even get it on Apple TV. Do you have Apple TV? No, but I'm considering it for the future. If you want, we, we're debating getting the new one at some point, especially because with my phone, I've now got a, like six months free of the Apple streaming service, which is also called That's Apple TV. That's it, my, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, it's Apple TV and Apple TV something, isn't it? The one that actually has... Apple TV Plus is the streaming service. Content Plus, that's it, yeah. Which uh, I want... I was debating paying for and then thought I can't justify paying for another streaming service, especially not having just got Disney Plus. But if I've got a year yeah. free, I really want to watch the Emily Dickinson series they did because apparently they made it very gay. <laughs> what about the eyebrows? <laughs> I'm assuming there's good eyebrows. Okay, good, good. In an Emily Dickinson series that's been made very gay, I can't imagine the eyebrows are anything less than magnificent. <laughs> I was listening to an old episode of Do By Friday yesterday. Um, I'm not listening to the new ones still because I'm getting behind on all my podcasts but I am still occasionally listening to the old ones to try and get caught up um, mm. and they were talking about seeing other people use their iPhones and how much they hate seeing them do certain things and not do the most efficient way and it's like no I I know how to do what I'm doing even if it's not the most efficient there is only so much time I will spend configuring widgets to make it easier long term but yeah, with the podcast thing, actually, I found that I don't really want to listen to old episodes of anything right now because I want ev I, oh, oh, my podcast playlist is so heavily conversation oriented that I kind of want to listen to people in the same boat as us right yeah. now. I think most of the I'm finding it quite difficult to listen to conversations about normal life. It's so weird. I think because, uh, again, a lot of the ones I listen to are conversational and have gotten heavily about this so like um the even the tv recap ones like the lost podcast they obviously it's coming up as a running joke because they're talking about people like isolated on an island and there's a whole quarantine plot line coming up the most jarring thing is with the guilty feminists they're alternating episodes that they've recorded in lockdown with episodes they have left over from their live pile oh sure sure listen, yeah that's weird listening <laughs> to the live ones is so trippy like hearing a room full of people Especially yeah, because like, we're looking at the future of theatre, especially within the company I work for and kind of going, right, we had this thing planned for April. Obviously, we postponed it and said we'd do it in September. It now doesn't really, 
it's starting to not feel realistic to do it in September. September seems quite close, doesn't it now? Um, Sainsbury's, I know, were saying they're intending to keep all their social distancing queues and stuff up to September at least. So Yeah, I feel like lockdown's going to ease before it ends. And I feel like pubs and theatres and things are going to be probably some of the last to reopen. Podcast? Yeah, let's make a podcast. Sweet. Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret, a podcast in which we're reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen-Young. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is part one of our discussion of Weird Sisters, the sixth book in the Discworld series. Yeah, it's the first first one, I'd say, in the canon witches arc, is that fair to say? I mean, I know Equal Rights had Granny Weatherworks in it, but this is the the team of witches as we will grow to know, love and fear them. Yes, I think this is the first witches proper. Yeah. Uh, before we go into it, uh, no mm-hmm. spoilers. Mm-hmm. This is a spoiler light podcast, obviously heavy spoilers for the book we're on, Weird Sisters, but we so will, so many, all of the spoilers. And for Macbeth. Yeah, if you haven't read or seen Macbeth, a play that was written 500 years ago, no, 400, maths. Well, 400 years, you should probably give people a bit more time to see it before we spoil it. But Yeah, okay. Soz about the Macbeth spoilers. <laughs> Everyone dies. There's a walking oh. forest. So yeah, heavy spoilers for Weird Sisters, but we will try and avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series. And we're saving any and all discussion of the final book, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So if you haven't read it, you can come on the journey with us. Speaking of... Uh, Russ on Facebook asked, um, I'm almost through reading the series for the first time, just started listening to the podcast from the start. You mentioned some people were putting off reading Shepherd's Crown. Is there a specific reason or do people just not want the series to end? Uh, Yeah, that's a good point. We actually haven't talked about that at all, have we? Um... Like it's hard for us because both of us went and got it and started reading it on the day it came out. Like together in the pub. There is a phenomenon, a phenomenon, uh, where people do, 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 do. phenomenon. This do, is serious sorry. and about death, Joanna. Um, <laughs> because Terry Pratchett is not going to write any more books to our immense sadness. Uh, a lot of people don't want to read the last one, so they know they've got one more left. Um, and it's something I can't, I can see where they're coming from. I can't really relate. And I feel like Terry Pratchett would call them all a bunch of silly buggers. Uh, Probably. Probably. However, if that's something that brings them joy and comfort, then fill your boots or don't. But we're hoping that if some people are reading along with the podcast and haven't read that final one yet, then maybe they will want to come to that last bit with us because then you feel like you're reading it as part of a community and yeah, you're not yeah. going through that alone, which is a lovely thing. Giving us a lot of credit. We're not very supportive people. Well, we try. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, no. So I just went through uh, the uh, and we're getting the mention in early, but the Buffy podcast I listened to. Oh me, all right, go on. Well, no, so they just covered a Is really that a buffering. Yeah, yeah, okay. They just covered a particularly rough episode of Buffy, um, where a beloved character passes away, and the episode deals very heavily with grief, and it's a very tough episode to watch. It's also one of the greatest episodes of television ever made, mm. but. Watching the episode to listen to the podcast episode, knowing that I was doing it around the same time as a lot of other people who have the same experience. And yeah, 
being in a Facebook group where we could all kind of share feelings together and knowing that the sort of hosts are there for people and reading emails and made it a lot easier to deal with watching a very rough episode of television. Mm -hmm. So there is something to be said for knowing that when you're going through a sad thing, like watching that very sad episode of Buffy or reading the last ever Discworld novel, you're not going through it alone. Uh, Quick follow up from our sorcery episodes. Uh, If anyone remembers Francine's obscure reference finial about the whiff and poofs. Oh yeah. And the poor little lambs. Um, if anyone would like to hear a really lovely version of that song, then uh, lovely friend, friend of the pod, listener, Helen. Lovely friend. <laughs> uh, just sent me a link to her SoundCloud in which she's got a really nice recording of her singing that particular piece. Cute. Uh, doubly relevant because Helen is someone I befriended through acting and theatre when she played the crone in a monologue I ah, yes, wrote of the same name that was heavily inspired by uh, Terry Pratchett and especially the witch's books. It's a very good monologue. It is actually one of the best things I've ever written. Not and Helen is a very good actor. So Francine, would you like yeah, to introduce hi. Weird Sisters? Yep. Six Discworld novel, first in the witch's story arc, the first obvious straight up parody of another work, uh, being yeah. Macbeth. I'd say um, Masquerade is as heavy-handed a parody of something. I would say Masquerade is more heavy-handed as a parody yeah. of one specific thing as opposed to like a genre parody like moving yeah. pictures or song music. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's the the three witches, Magrat, Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og, who are just a fantastic trio and I love so much. And yeah. I'm really excited to do this one and I'll just do the blurb and then we can do it. Yeah. Cool. Witches are not by nature gregarious, and they certainly don't have leaders. Granny Weatherwax was the most highly regarded of the leaders they didn't have. But even she found that meddling in royal politics was a lot more difficult than certain playwrights would have you believe. Bloody playwrights. I summarise what happens in this section. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good idea. We should do that. We begin with eldritch voices on dark, rain-lashed hills. We're in the magic-soaked Roundtop Mountains with a storm brewing. A hurtling coach and hooded risers, a coven meeting. King Verence meets his untimely end at the hands of Duke Felmet and becomes a spectral, glamless being who cannot leave the stones of the castle. He finds his child's cradle empty. The hurtling coach interrupts the coven meeting, handing over a baby before succumbing to an untimely end. And some king's men attempt to steal the baby till Granny gives them what for. They find a crown in the wreckage of the coach. We meet Duke Felmer, wishing he was a tree and trying not to think about the horrific murder what he just done, as his wife ransom raves. The fool and the cook receive the message that witches are abroad. It's a lovely time of year for it. The witches ponder what to do with the baby and agree on a trip to the theatre, one of them style of things. The Chamberlain explains local witches to the Duke and Duchess, Duke now the King, who aren't happy about the witches' helpful slash tax-evading ways. The witches head to the pub with the travelling players from the theatre and offer them the child hiding the crown in the prop bucket. Is it tax evasion if the tax man evades you? I mean, taxes have been evaded in that case. Yeah, so yes. Okay, okay. Uh, Where am I? The witches head home and godmother style bestow gifts on the child, Tom John. The following morning, an attempt to arrest the witches goes badly and the Duke gets in a strop at the guard's decision to eat a currant bun. Two months later, the coven meets at Nanny's cottage and have a moan about the new king, Felmet. 
Thelma receives news that the tax gatherer's gatherer has failed with the witches. After a quick chat with the fool and some incomprehensible humour, we jump to one year later and look in on Vitola, the head of the strolling players, the boy Tom John, and Huel, the playwright. The portentous winter arrives as is proper, then it stops portenting and everyone gets very confused. Granny and Margaret crash Nanny's Hogswatch night party to invoke a demon and ask about the huge unhappy animal mind that Granny consents. The witches realise it's the kingdom itself that's unhappy and that they really oughtn't meddle. Tom John shows his prowess at recitation and Grebo wanders up to the castle and the ghost of the former king locks him up. Portenting, very nice. Portenting is definitely a real word that I didn't make up. Helicopters, loincloths, did you find any? Um, not yet, but okay. I have hopes for the rest of the book. Is that because you've read the book? And yeah. no, there are some. Okay, cool, cool. Well, again, we're going for very loose interpretations. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going to make it work. Do you want to yeah. give us your favourite quote, Francine? Uh, yeah, I think mine came first this time, didn't it? So let's flick yeah. along. To... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so let's just go to page 25 <laughs> in a nice PG manner. Uh, here it is. Uh, yeah, they're talking about how the crown will find itself or will we'll make itself found uh, because of narrative destiny, which is a theme that's kind of picked up in a lot of these Discworld books. Uh, basically, it's going to happen because that's how narrativium works. Um, and in this case, the crown, no matter where you hide it, will be found because that's just how stories go. And so saying, it's true, is that, said Nanny Og, earnestly. How many times have you thrown a magic ring into the deepest depths of the ocean and then when you get home and have a nice bit of turbot for your tea, there it is. They considered this in silence. Never, said Granny irritably, nor of you. <laughs> oh, that makes me happy. Also, that's a little thing that, uh, not a spoiler, but that will come up again in another book and it will be quite entertaining. Yes, yeah. We should remember this when that comes up again in another book. Remember the turbot, dear listeners. Never forget the turbot. Uh, I can't remember what, where's... Oh yeah, my quote is very short and only a couple of pages later, so they're still talking about the crown. Oh, good. Um, things that try to look like things often do look more like things than things. Well-known fact. Yes, and a true one. Very true one. It's, um... Uh, sorry, you... you. Well, I was, I'm going to end up nerding out about how cool theatre is a lot throughout this podcast, but they're talking about theatre there. Yeah. Um, there's a lovely little line later in the thing because Granny doesn't really understand what theatre is. Of come on, let's go. It's about time since I saw a theatre played properly, <laughs> which I do love. Um, but yeah, the idea of it's something that comes up a lot, especially in like uh, drag, which obviously I love drag. Yeah, uh, I'm as close as to a drag queen as I can be without being a drag queen on the day to day, mostly because I don't have any wigs. I gave all my wigs to the theatre company. Oh no, and then you shaved your head. Terrible order to do things. And now I might buy some new wigs. Um, that's not relevant to what we're talking about at all. God, what was drag I saying? Drag, drag and drag queens. And not just drag queens, but like drag performers of all times. But the whole idea <laughs> is that it is this hyped up version of gender and it treats yeah. gender as a thing to play with. And it's fun. It's, it's trying to look more like a thing than the thing itself. So 
this book has a helpful little starring, not quite a full dramatis persona at the beginning, starring three witches, also kings, daggers, crowns, storms, dwarves, cats, ghosts, spectres, apes, bandits, demons, forests, heirs, jesters, torches, trolls, turntables, general rejoicing, and diverse alarums. Which I meant to look up the diverse alarum thing because I'm assuming there's a joke I'm not quite getting, but I forgot. You're muted. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> yes, that passed me by actually. Um, diverse alarums, you say? How's that spelled? Uh, D i v e r s and then a l a r u m s. Alarums. Divers are It's something to do with the word. Oh, alarms. that's that comes up again. Um, maybe a masquerade. It comes up later in this book as well. All right, all right, cool. We'll we'll look it up for next time. Homework. Yes, we will do. So, characters that we meet. One of my favourites. I'm not joking. Is the storm? Yes, it's a an up and coming performer. So I think it's very relevant. I like. I did. I didn't really twig quite how relevant his description of it was to the general theme of the book until this read through oh really yeah yeah i guess i liked it and i remembered it as one of the passages i liked but then i read it this time i was like oh yeah like a like an actor yes so yeah if you want to read that out so i'm not talking nonsense the storm was really giving it everything it had this was its big chance it spent years hanging around the provinces putting in some useful work as a squall building up experience making contacts occasionally leaping out on unsuspecting shepherds or blasting quite small oak trees. now an opening in the weather had given it an opportunity to strut its hour and it was building up its role in the hope of being spotted by one of the big climates critics agreed that if it would only learn to control its thunder it would be in years to come a storm to watch I like the idea of a little amateur storm not being able to control its thunder and just like rolling thunder out of excitement. <laughs> it brings me much joy. And then on the following page, obviously, we meet the big, the big three. The big Granny three. Granny Weatherwax, Nanny Og, and Margaret Garlic. Ah, oh, wonderful little coven. Yes, we've met Granny before, obviously. Yes, but she was um, doing other things and not hanging around her village very much. So this is a... Granny on home turf and being bloody good at it. And she doesn't live in Badass anymore, does she? She lives in... Where does she live? Well, so this is the confusing thing when we sort of get to location. So the kingdom is Lanka, Lankra, yes. in the yeah. Ramtop Mountains, but then they all live quite scattered about. Or maybe she does live in Badass then. So she, yeah, Badass, I think, is one of the villages that surrounds sort of a village within the kingdom, as it were. I see, I and see. And is like just the big town centre. Yes, all right, I'm willing to believe this. I will, I would consult Probably the Atlas. Probably could have looked at the Atlas, but um, I think I'll have that in there. Oh no, it's there. It's within my, it's within my grasp. So yeah, Lanka Town is the main centre of population and is surrounded by smaller villages, including Badass, Mad Stoat and Slice. Excellent. They look at you funny over in Slice Way. They do. <laughs> I like the idea of a squint so good you can look up your own nostril, by the way. <laughs> that made me chuckle. That's like doing eyeball yoga. <laughs> but I really like in this just initial scene with the witches where they're uh -huh. talking around the fire, there are three lines that perfectly sum up all three characters. So Granny oh, yeah. is just the most highly regarded of the leaders the witches didn't have. Uh, Nanny Og, Margaret's talking about a coven like and talking about how she wants to establish these coven meetings 
and a knees up said nanny Og, hopefully yes and then the last bit is uh margaret has baked these scones shaped like bats with little eyes made of currants oh oh margaret <laughs> and i think just like to establish these three characters and the dynamic between them in a page is done so yeah. so well and I think Nanny Og talks about babysitting on the same page. And oh, just, she's got, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's you know, babysitting for us Characters actually, yeah. Our Jason's youngest. Ah, yes, that's it. We don't actually, I think, meet Jason in this book. He's a future character. We meet Sean. Yeah. And then King Varence is the next one. Yep, King Varence on the following page. As he, he gets... is introduced as dead. Has just died, so we meet him during a lovely little chat with Death. Who he pisses off, which is always a good move. Yep, and finds out he's becoming a ghost, which it turns out is something that happens. It's not really optional. You do or yeah. you don't. Then a few pages later, we meet. Like we, pretty much the full character setup is established in this first section. Yes, it's it follows a very nice theatrical structure, partly because it's parodying a play. Yeah, it doesn't feel crowded or anything, though, does it? Like, a lot happens in the intro, in kind of contrast to Sorcery, maybe, but it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming. I think part of that is because it's got a couple of time jumps in. We get, like, two months later and a year later and what have you. Sure, yeah. So it's sort of nicely spread out. Yeah, that makes sense. But it is a nice kind of getting all the actors on and off stage and yes we've got duke filmert and the duchess who is she ever referred to as anything like she, she doesn't get a first name does she she's just the duchess. no i think she's the duchess or duchess filmert yeah uh obviously the duke filmert becomes king having stabbed his cousin yes and he's described as some sort of lizard the type that lives on volcanic islands moves once a day has a vestigial third eye and blinks on a monthly basis vestigial third eyes are a thing by the way he didn't make that up Really? Yeah, the um, lizards have a vestigial third eye that helps them with navigation. Ah, cool. And apparently so do humans, although it's under our skulls, so it's not much good for navigation so much as the sense of space. Did you know humans can learn to echolocate? No. Yeah, like not to the level that bats can, but humans can learn to, uh, especially visually impaired people, can learn to effectively echolocate and you sound to work out their position to other physical objects and things awesome yeah so uh if lockdown goes on much longer i'm gonna le- put on a blindfold and learn to echolocate <laughs> that's one way to procrastinate the ironing i suppose do i do ironing <laughs> what have i got to iron we're in lockdown <laughs> <laughs> yes and yet somehow you are still in full formal there so well i went had to do the grocery shopping of course darling of course Anyway, uh, Discworld, Discworld, Discworld. Um, yeah, Spellman's quite an interesting character, isn't he? He's incredibly poised and together right up in, until he's not. Until he really fucking isn't. There's a yeah. really great line, I think. The eye twitch was a lovely bit of foreboding, the first yes. eye twitch. There's a lovely line, uh, I think it's in the next section, about how his madness manifests into like a cold hard sanity. And the Duchess, I mean, I really like the whole dynamic between the Duke and the Duchess and that it kind of does a role reversal thing from Macbeth in which... So it- yes, the 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 hand washing thing, especially, and the the Duchess having very little remorse. Yeah, although obviously in Macbeth, like Lady Macbeth pushes him to it, but then feels all the remorse. But it's a nice shift of roles, and I I, I mean I I think the Duchess is a really 
not a good character as in I like her or empathise with her, but I think she's yeah. a brilliant, well-written character in that she's just pure villainy. She's a very good villain, but it doesn't seem hammy villain. It seems very realistic. This is just a power-hungry bastard of a person. And to have like a very, very powerful female villain who's not weirdly sexualized and never devolves into any kind of silly screaming. There's a brilliant bit in her description. She was a large and impressive woman who gave people confronting her for the first time the impression that they were seeing a galleon under full sail. I love that. I love that. And that line has stuck with me ever since I first read this. And I've always tried to slightly give the impression of being a galleon under full (laughs) sail, especially when I'm wearing a corset. The rigging does get tangled in things though. Yeah, it's really awkward. I should probably not have the sails up, (laughs) especially when it's windy. But I love the idea of kind of moving very, in a very stately appearing sedate manner that if it actually bore down on you is going sort of actually cutting through the water very quickly and would definitely kill you. Absolutely. So now there's another Lady Sybil, I think, was described similarly at some point. Yes. I can't wait to get to her. Yeah. That's so good. soon it's a much nicer way of saying old oh, battleship isn't it yeah which I, I i don't take in the same way because it's usually used in just a different tone i suppose which also i like that the duchess is a woman and she is a very large woman and her her complexion is made fun of yeah. in that you know red doesn't She's bright red <laughs> yeah red doesn't set off her complexion it matches it but the book doesn't mock her size no i thought like my thought process as I read her description was, oh, that's a shame. He's going to make fun of the fact that there's a fat woman wearing a lot of red velvet. That's like, oh, no, just making fun of the fact she's ruddy faced. Great. OK, yeah. cool. <laughs> she probably would be given her lifestyle, but it would be very easy to very punch down on this large woman with a lot of self-confidence. Yeah. And as much as she's not overly sexualized the book never talks about her being undesirable apart from the fact that she's very irritating yes yeah no it's very good i like it a lot um i like i I like how conniving she is on a very simple level though do you know what i mean like there's not this whole oh she's so scheming and clever and subtle and everything it's like nope this is straight up I want this, murder this, yay. I want power, stab till I get it, which is what we were talking about back in Sorcery, where I was talking about like the inherent ridiculousness of power for power's sake. Yeah, and yeah. This is, and that I that was something that had come up in a conversation about Macbeth, which is what this is based on. Yeah, and especially and- as it's kind of played up that all the other kings who murdered people were like, yeah, yeah, I m- murdered everyone and just put their heads on a pole and now I'm king. Whereas these yeah. guys are like, oh no, we didn't murder him. We didn't murder him. Don't say we did or we'll burn you. And I was like, Everyone knows you didn't. Nobody cares. What's the problem? I don't. <laughs> There's so much about the like steady matter of factness of the people of Lanka in general. Yeah, but it's also the fact you know they want power. She wants the duke to be king. They don't fucking like the kingdom. Like yeah. they both much rather be down on the plains. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh, it's like buying a mansion for the sake of wanting a mansion, but actually really hating large spaces. So anyway, the fool. The fool. I love the fool. I love the fool. He's a he's a classic Shakespearean fool, as I've unnecessarily noted here. But I had to double check, and there isn't a fool in Macbeth, so it's no. fun that they've put, given him this classic role, and it's it's not one of the. Well, the book parodies Macbeth, but it kind of parodies all Shakespeare or a lot of other Shakespeare at the same time. Like yeah. it's not a straight up Macbeth parody. No, we don't true. get Burnham Wood coming to Dunsinane. We don't get 
Macduff, and it's although well, you much... do have the wood turning up on Granny's doorstep. Yeah, you do. But that's the animals from the the, the wood. Yeah, just, but the it's, it's got to be a hint towards it, isn't it? Yeah, there is a great reference about a wood moving to disguise Nami in a later Terry Pratchett book. Um, uh, Monstrous Regiment. Yeah, yeah. But this parodies fairy tale and classic stories as much as it parodies Macbeth. Like the idea of yeah. the young young heir to the throne coming to claim his destiny is like a yeah. fun. So it's it's kind of parodying all stories at the same time, mm. and. Uh, like Pratchett plays with the power stories a lot and it's really fun but the full yeah the full from Shakespeare like Lear is the big classic one where the fool is as much the voice of reason as he is ridiculous yeah it's meant to be like an underhanded not underhanded exactly but a a kind of hidden intelligence yeah it's like I'm really smart but I'm gonna hide it underneath all this tomfoolery um am I right saying that in that case, Robin Hobbs' fool was probably slightly Shakespearean. There's definitely a hint of Shakespearean. If you look, like his devotion to the king re- really echoes the fool yeah. and King Lear and his devotion to Lear following him out into the rain alone and lost. Yeah. Yeah, the devoted fool is, I'm not sure it's quite a trope. I think it might just be coincidental from the stuff I've read. But the, the idea of a, the devoted fool is something that's very in my brain. It's definitely come up in more than like I think it is something of a trope. It's come up in more things, but the fool, like the idea of jesters and the fool, has this weird, mad history because you've got the idea of sort of these medieval court jesters, but then you've also got the whole thing of the Harlequin in the uh, Commedia dell'arte, ah. um, which is another form of this kind of fool jester thing, and that's where like the diamond pattern. Right. So the kind of the stereotypical jester, such as it is, is kind of an amalgamation. I would say so, yeah. I, I don't know enough about it to sound... I just sound really clever when I talk about it. <laughs> so you've ruined it now. Um, <laughs> Soz. The, um, the, the ridiculous joke. Do you get it? Which one? The one where... Oh, the Hiram Cow. Yeah. Uh, hang on, I had something on this. This came up in... Um, in one of the Terry Pratchett Facebook groups the other day. Someone was asking if there's more to the joke and they'd kind of missed something. Uh-huh. So, uh, was it why Sarah? Why may a caudle fill horse be deemed the brother to a hiron candle in the night? Withal, because a candle may be grease, yet a fill horse may be without a fat argia. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole forum discussion on what it means. But I think, sorry, it's really loud outside. F. Oh, I think there's a storm. Hey, atmospheric. Oh yeah. Huh. Cool. Well, we've got a verisimilitude for the episode. Excellent. Anyway, there's a whole forum thread on this joke. Mm -hmm. And basically it isn't really referencing anything specific. But what does it mean? Is it funny? I couldn't even get through the language. From what I understand... Which sounds like it might not be a lot. It's something to... I think it's somehow a dick joke or something to do with a harlot of some sort. Basically, if any of our dear listeners know what that joke actually means, I don't, I don't think it's meant to mean anything. I think the point is that it's incomprehensible nonsense. That's what I kind of thought, but that seemed unsatisfying because quite often when I think that about Pratchett, it is an obscure reference. So let's move on then to Vitola, who has a rich and wonderful voice with every diphthong gliding beautifully into place. Mmm... The fat man who had been badly savaged by a (laughs) moustache. 
<laughs> that made me chuckle. I, I, I like Vitola. I think he's a very good character. Cool. And then Grebo. Uh, Grebo, yes. The best cat. Grebo. Grebo is Nanny Og's cat and he has a face like a... No, what is he? A fist with fur on it. He's yes. The, he's the tough cat. He is something that Terry Pratchett loves very much, which is the unadulterated cat. And I have a copy of that book with me. Ah. I, was try- I was trying to find Grebo's category, and I, th- I think he is a boot-faced cat. Very much so. They have fangs, crossed eyes, enough scars to play a noughts and crosses championship on, and ears like old bus tickets. That sounds about right, doesn't it? I mean, Last he'd be crossed if he had two. Yeah, I feel like the other the eye he does have doesn't really look in the right direction. And uh, here's a plot device in this bit because he's been right at the end of the section trapped in a room in the hope of tempting a witch up to talk to Verence. Ghost Verence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right near, well, very briefly, we don't spend a lot of time with him, but we meet Huel. I don't know if I'm how that's meant to be pronounced. Huel. Huel. Huel, well, well. Well, 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 what have we here? We have a dwarven playwright. Yes, who doesn't like dwarfishness because he doesn't really like being underground singing about gold and he has a tendency to daydream, but he's a bloody good writer. Yes. Because of inspiration particles. Yes, another reference to this rather charming theme of ideas coming from the sky in a sort of sleet. So locations, we've already talked really about where we are and what we're doing. We're in the kingdom of Lankra. Yeah, in the kingdom of Lankra. Ramtop Mountains. Ramtop Mountains, which I didn't realise were quite so extensive. So they go from all the way to the hub, right out in a little archipelago, which I can never Archipelago. Thank you, archipelago. Um, We we only really see little bits of them, don't we? But I like the fact that they're kind of some kind of magic conduit and make all of the witches and wizards and they're just generally quite... I don't want to say eldritch again. <laughs> yes, there's a higher magical density in the Roundtop Mountains, so they produce a lot of witches and wizards. Yeah, and I think I think it was Duke Falmut who was talking about like just how much geography the place had. It had depth, which I think kind of harks back to what we were saying a very long time ago about how places like Suffolk that are just flat just don't seem to have much room for magic in them. There's just not there's barely any folklore compared to somewhere like say Shropshire which is all depth and geography but before we get to the little bits we liked um why don't you give us a word from our sponsor now Francine are you tired of finding jokes funny yes are you sick belly aching humor oh god yes are you absolutely exhausted with giggling and genuine laughter I am it hurts my belly ditto I am too however I've signed up for a new subscription service from the Fool's Guild of Ank Morpork. Joker Month. Get it? It sounds a bit like Joker, but also a joke a month. Now, every month in the post, I receive a selection of humour that cannot possibly be funny. Pies in the face, buckets of whitewash, and a small jingly capering man that likes to ask me incomprehensible questions about mizzen sails, hiron candles, and ducks. Long gone are the days of actual laughter or finding humour in anything. Now I can get a dose of something that almost passes for comedy and go about my month safe in the knowledge that joy is ephemeral, fleeting and unnecessary. 
The Guild are offering a special deal for listeners of the Two Shall Make You Fret. Just enter code NOLAUGHS for me at the checkout to get six months for the price of 12. Go to foolsguild.ang slash jokermonth to claim your discount. And now, back to the podcast. Uh, I really like going on to bits we liked. What page am I on? I like going on to that as well. Page 25. Granny and Nanny sort of paying attention to Magritte and how she's doing witchcraft, because Magritte is the, mm-hmm. the young one. If we're doing Maiden Mother Crone Cycle, and I'll get into that a lot more when we get on to some of the later ones. Um, but they're complaining about uh, the modern ways in which Magritte's doing... Uh, sigils and magic and uh, flowers and silly things on the walls and there's this lovely modern says granny weatherworks with the smith when i was a girl we had lumps of wax and a couple of pins and had to be content we had to make our own enchantment in those days <laughs> yeah it's throwback and throw forward it's editing to uh, the the kind of wizards being able to do the rite of ash kent with a couple of matchsticks and it's it, seen throughout the witches books i think it's fair to say that magrat really wants witchcraft to be this you know the thing we thought it was when we were teenagers with the cool runes and the you know the really cool carved wand and you've got like 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 you know you know it's stylish it's the aesthetic of the whole thing and you're ruining it by being able to do it in that bloody copper pan (laughs) but what i really like is that magrat doesn't really let this get in her way too much no she's got a bit more willpower than some of the other younger witches we meet later doesn't she she's just kind of like no, this is how i'm doing it yeah yep but also she'll she'll she's flexible enough to sometimes go all right fine bread knife yes yeah and i like the fact that kind of uh, pratchett specifies that her way of doing things does work it doesn't really matter which's remedies always work it just uh, the delivery is fairly irrelevant <laughs> As long as the witch believes in it. Yes. Yes, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> but it's the nice thing. Like, when I, I, I was excited about all three characters, and especially, like, I love Nanny Og so much. Oh, yeah. But where I like Magret because of who she becomes, I've appreciated a lot more her a lot more in this book. She's yes. a lot better than I remember. She gets she a lot is, more to yeah. do. And she's not as wet as I remember either. Like as you say the fact that she's just like i like doing it this way but okay i can see we're doing it that way now <sighs> fine yeah. let's carry on and it's nice that she brought scones with bats on them and oh, no, you know let's not pretend we all like to be we all like the cool witchy aesthetic as well and yeah no i definitely like her a lot more than i did as a teenager and i feel like maybe that's because i related too much as a teenager but <laughs> yeah, i think it's very easy when you're a teenager to read a character that's quite similar to you and dislike them whereas now mm-hmm. you look back on it and, and like we'd all love hair that streams and would look great with flowers braided into it yeah i definitely relate to like spending a long time on your hair in the morning oh here we go i've curled it and i've styled it perfectly and then by lunchtime looking in the mirror like oh no oh no yeah. <laughs> i love granny not understanding what theater is oh it's so fucking good <laughs> Because think about it, like it's a really ridiculous thing to. I remember, explain. I remember as a kid not getting it. Like I remember no. at uh, pantomimes. I know you yell at pantomimes anyway, but I remember as a very young kid, um, a, a villain, like one of the comedy villains, they're not really a villain on stage, yeah. going, "Oh, I don't know, I have any friends," and I yelled, "I'll be your friend," because I was really sad for him. 
that's very sweet that's a beautiful story it can happen sometimes like i found i've been watching a play and especially if it's not great yeah I mean, not to like be a dick about it. Like sometimes just people have off days or whatever. Yeah. Not to be a dick about it, but some plays aren't great. That's true, Joe. Don't worry. I know. But sometimes you're watching it and then your brain suddenly goes, hang on. Like that's that's not real because these are also people who have entire lives out of this and you get very swept up in a story and something can jar you out. Especially because like a lot of theatre I see I'm mates with some of the cast. Yeah, I I find it very difficult to get sucked into theatre in the same way that I do films and stuff because of that, because I can see they are people right there and there's not all the cinematic tricks in the, the score so often. Yeah, there's um, nothing separate. But, I mean, when it's done well, you do get totally absorbed in it. And I've seen good friends of mine play like these very different parts and been like completely able to believe it for the moment. Weirdly enough, I found it easier to get absorbed into things like the monologues. And so I can watch you even do a monologue and get very absorbed into it. And I say you even, not because you're a bad actor, but because you, you know, you're my best mate. And it's very hard to see you as not that for a bit, but I get swept up into your monologues. But then I think with the theatre, it's because there's so much that can jar you out of it, like a set change or a a step out of place because there's several actors on stage at once or whatever whereas in monologue it's just it it definitely depends like on the on the show and and the actors and how it's done yeah um which is why i'm not a huge fan of the like ridiculously stripped back minimalist theater it can be very good when done well but it's so easy for it not like don't i mean i work for don't get me wrong the company i work for is fairly stripped back and minimalist because we have like a super tight budget yeah, like but it's we not do like a lot with a little. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's not all oh, we're using as little stuff as possible on purpose. It's a uh, this is what we have. Let's do it. Yeah, it does. I've never seen one of the really stark ones you're on about. I know what you mean because I've seen like clips of videos of them or whatever. But I've never gone to watch a show that was really minimalist like that. I don't think there's a version of Hamlet with Maxine Peake playing Hamlet that everyone raves about, and it's very stripped back and minimalist. And Maxine Peake is very good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an incredibly talented actor but I just didn't enjoy watching it because it was it felt more look how clever we are for representing a grave with a pile of old clothes than something I could just get in, sort of absorbed in and watch it would almost be better if the grave wasn't there Yeah, like if you're going to be minimalist about it just don't have the grave I can imagine enjoying certainly large parts of a Shakespeare play with no props at all but if yeah. you're going to distract me by having like a dining table be a matchbox or something, then I'm going to be thinking about yeah. that. So sometimes this is too clever for its own good, mm. but it's really fun. Seeing... And in this case, Granny Weatherwax is too clever for theatre's good. Yes. Aha, I saw you. I saw you. We all saw him. <laughs> what? He done it. Him. <laughs> that one over there. He's fantastically understanding with them as well afterwards. Like he is the perfect charming gent yes because you would be wouldn't yeah yeah no i figured yeah <laughs> wouldn't you uh, the next thing i really like is that we get our early mention of the hedgehog song yay hedgehog can never be bothered baggage. has anybody written out this whole thing we never get i don't the books never have the full lyrics of it so i don't think there is a full official version okay we just okay. get odd lines and you know you infer the rest for yourself obviously the yeah. The theme is how animals manage to shag effectively. Yeah. We get little snippets of it in this, and I think we do get more in uh, definitely in, in 
witches abroad yeah yeah i wonder if um, anybody's written a really good version of the whole thing we'll have to look it up i've seen a couple of fan written versions of it that are very funny and uh if any of our dear listeners want to send us uh, yeah i do because being, the hedgehog being the, can never be buggered at all being a massive prude that i am i'm not going to write that parody poem so <laughs> i might but oh, I would yes. much ra- i'd much rather someone just sent me it when they don't <laughs> i'd much rather someone do it for me <laughs> i mean if anyone fancies doing the next episode for us and sending it in that'll give us a free afternoon <laughs> I mean, we've been doing bonus episodes for this because of lockdown boredom. No, I don't want someone else to do this. Yeah, all right, fine. (laughs) We are both also control freaks, so that wouldn't work too well. I don't know what you're talking about. Right, next thing, your thing. (laughs) See, I'm glad you're the control freak. I'm glad you are also a control freak because it means I don't have to be on this thing. So next one is bloody hands. And I wasn't sure whether this was... um, a talking point i guess it was blood sugar i feel energy again now (laughs) (laughs) eating a double decker bar in three seconds flat made me feel amazing top tip listeners um (laughs) disclaimer anybody who chokes to death may not sue me (laughs) bloody hands um (laughs) that should be like safe word if we go to (laughs) by the time it gets to that point it's too late for a safe word Um, (laughs) Um, <laughs> Christ. <laughs> um, it's interesting that they've got the Duke having the hand washing instead of the Duchess because obviously it's a reference to Lady Macbeth's uh, in, in, enduring hand washing scenes during the, the, the yep, Macbeth's play that's, because... um, that's what I was talking about earlier with the kind of role reversal with the Duke and Duchess and the Duke uh, yeah, yeah. feels super guilty afterwards I really like it I do too because it makes more sense to be honest. It does because Macbeth the one... just comes across as a bit of an idiot in Macbeth, which is fine because that's the character he is there. But then yeah. in in Macbeth, Macbeth is an easily led idiot. Yeah, and um, he again, it's never really explained why he wants to be king so badly, apart from some people said he was going to be and then his yeah. wife encouraged him and she's yeah. the one who really pushes the drive for power which means it's more it is very interesting that she is the one that then has the guilt and there's because she was the driving force yeah it's the bigger turnaround from her and there's also i would say uh some misogyny in there somewhere of how shakespeare's women are treated and once she's pushed him to do it she sort of loses her use and so there's not much to do with her other than have her go mad and die okay yeah no, yeah. So I'm not saying necessarily that perhaps it's better than Shakespeare, although I am. Yeah, that's um, fine. I agree. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just think that this way round does make more sense. I agree with you. I feel like the bloody hands bit is a fantastic bit of creepy addition to the general story. To like, it's a really gruesome, in-your-face way of showing his madness. Although he's barely cracking at this point, apart from this. Yeah. it's like he's perfectly calm composed you're seeing a slight twitch in his face and see, you know you're getting an idea of what's going to happen but at the same time he's using a fucking armorous file on his hands yes it and is it's horrific. absolutely gross it's such a good but it's it's not horror what is it it's like i don't know what to call it just a bit of gruesome demonstration of what's going on it's just this really nice subtle yeah, no, just in case you weren't sure, this guy is like super fucking batshit, guys. Yeah, 
and it just oh god it makes you cringe I, I guess it it also helps you feel like a visceral repulsion whenever he's mentioned which yeah, obviously he helps can't... when you're meant to be seeing him as villain yeah you can't not think of the fact that he's got this kind of bloody oozing bandage yeah. on because because it means like he that... said yeah he put a soiled bandage on the fool's shoulder it's like oh. because he's <laughs> Because he's making it worse and he's making it so that there is literal blood on his hands that he yeah. can see and it's his own. Yeah, yeah. It's like this fucking vicious circle, isn't it? He washed the blood off his hands so hard that he got blood on his hands and it's just got worse and worse since then. And I think eventually he has some fucking horrible remains by the end of the book. Tell me about Granny. Tell me about your grandmother child. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read the quote out. It is at times like this that the mind finds the oddest jobs to do in order to avoid its primary th purpose, e.g. thinking about things. If anyone had been watching, they would have been amazed at the sheer dedication with which Granny tackled such tasks as cleaning the teapot stand, rooting ancient nuts out of the fruit bowl on the dresser, and levering fossilised bread crust out of the cracks in the flagstones with the back of a teaspoon. God, we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, well, especially now, it feels so relatable, because, like... We are locked in our houses with our own thoughts and I have done, my house is really clean right now, like for me, which is still probably not that clean for most people. Yeah, same. But <laughs> yeah, it's, and I like, I really liked the, descri the description of how weird everything felt as well. Just that everything felt too loud. And yes. Just that uneasy feeling when, when something big is happening, either personally or, or in this case globally. And yeah everything just feels odd and echoey and wrong and you're like okay well i suppose i've never cleaned under this before oh god there was a reason like the toothbrush yeah it's the uh if we're in lockdown for like another month i'm gonna end up pulling out the sofa and cleaning up cleaning underneath it i already tried to reorganize yeah I'm, I'm close to it i Yours already is much heavier yeah mine is heavier and in an awkward position i used to have to do it daily for a while because we had like that sofa that came with fleas and then we had to get them out. Of the oh, carpet. sure. Yeah, great. Ugh. Sorry, was, you tried to organise what? Idea. I tried to reorganise my bookshelves, but realised that it literally is not space for the amount of books I have and I cannot make more space. And I was sort of, a, I can probably make this work a bit better if I take all the books off, reorganise them and put them back and start again. But I'm planning on moving house before the end of the year. So I'm not going to do that because I'll only have to redo it. Um, uh, carrot. Carrot, bloody hands, um, <laughs> bloody hands. Carrot and uh, fossilized toast. Um, <laughs> page eighty. Uh, changelings. When uh, Tom is just about Tom John is just about to speak for the first time, but Huel mentions that my great great grandmother said the changelings was done to us once. The fairies swapped a human and a dwarf. We never realised until he started banging his head on things. Ah. Carrot, carrot. Yes, we will make a note of this, dear listeners, and we will come back to this in a couple yeah. of weeks' time because we're anyway. really close. Yeah, we are. So yeah, I don't. Um, obviously, like it wasn't referenced. So forward, forward, throw, throw forward, throw yes. forward, foreshadowing, um, foreshadowing. Thank you. <laughs> I like throw forward. Um, <laughs> for something that didn't exist yet, but uh, yes, carrot was but a gleam in Terry Pratchett's eye at this point. Quite a tall gleam. I feel like that's that's that. Onto the bigger stuff. Let's talk about the dynamic of the witches. Oh, and they fucking fantastic. Obviously, they passed the Bechdel test with flying colours, and like it's. I know we're not really looking at that, but it is sad to think how many just like books and movies I read and watch on a regular basis that just 
don't do it anywhere near this well. It's, yeah. it's, it's three women with a really complex relationship that is built around their kind of careers, just mutual respect and disdain. And they're allowed to be these complex, bickering friends. Yes. And then and you, they're sort of not particularly close friends at the beginning of this. Margaret has just sort of started yeah. this meeting thing. And the fact that it's sort of the young one trying to bring them together. And there's this narrative of like career women supporting each other. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just the, the constant bickering from Nanny Ark and Granny Weatherwax. It never really stops, even though they are, you know, uh, together a lot throughout the books. And I just, they're so the fucking fu- funny. It's like an understated dry version of how the wizards interact. Yes. It's a combination of how the wizards interact and a certain way older women interact with each other. Yeah. It is uh, a joy to see and to be around. I really love, you know, you, we were talking about when they're introduced, how quickly their characters are established. And I mentioned mm-hmm. being really into this idea of the cycle of maiden, mother and crone. Yeah. And the books themselves interrogate that really thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially Lords and Ladies goes into it in great depth. But the fact that... so arguably, And witches abroad, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Margaret is the maiden. Nanny is obviously the mother because she's got these broods and broods. She's been married three times. And then that makes Granny the other one. I'd say she isn't even arguably the maiden at this point because she doesn't really know anything about. Yes, we do get a lovely moment. Or the birthing. <laughs> we have a lovely moment of uh, Margaret naivety where uh, Granny sort of says, "You should probably talk to Nanny at some point." Not now, <laughs> because she's drunk in the front garden trying to remember the words to the hedgehog can never be vulgar at all. But soon, <laughs> but soon. Um, yeah, just, oh, I just fucking love them. But I- also the sort of role reversal of quite often you'd get. Uh, that the mother would be the sort of severe and possibly mm. rather fretful one and the yeah. crone would be the one who's got a bit more room for fun. And certainly when I was writing the crone and that's going to be part of a cycle of monologues. Yeah, you the took crones. the normal fairy tale. Yeah. And so I've got her on stage swigging from a hip flask and reminiscing about her glory days and the mother yeah. piece I've written, she is very fretful because I've written a fairy tale mother whose children yeah. have been kidnapped and put in yeah. haunted castles and put to sleep Ooh. for a hundred years. And Oh, I want to see that. Yeah, I might finish writing it at some point. Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah, and well, Magrat's kind of got that role, hasn't she? And whether Magrat's got the new of... entity all of her own, I think. But yeah, Ma- but Magrat's got the maidenness in that you know that literal naivety that yeah. makes it means she's definitely retained her maidenhood so far. Yeah, but also the fact that she's not been knocked down by life a lot, and she still believes in her sigils and flowers in her hair and meadows, and yeah. um, we don't really get it in this section we'll we'll start getting into the next section Margaret's uh getting some romance into her life yeah but underneath all of that she has still got that really solid pragmatism yeah yeah I, I definitely get the feeling that the witches Pratchett's witches are based off women rather than a lot of men who write women write women as just a, a plot device almost it's like a really low-key it's not even low-key it is like objectification almost just a this is what i need at yeah, not, this point and so this is what this woman is yeah not sexual objectification just straight up right you are this uh you could be replaced by evil lamp instead of sexy lamp perhaps but yes. um, <laughs> um but like, yes um whereas these these women are women they are older women in Granny and Nanny's case, who I think we both know one of each, probably at least, and Nanny's just built up this family, not because she's this kind of broody, 
clucking mother hen, but she is a bit, but also she's kind of turned it into an empire and now she doesn't have to do anything ever again because she's got 15 children and so many daughters-in-laws. She's also just got this full willingness to completely embrace any joy that life can bring her as opposed to oh she's the ultimate hedonist isn't she yeah she's so hedonistic and she you know she can't go out on hogs watch night which is don't so she's brought the entire town to her yeah she's hedonistic but also like very accepting so she's she's somebody who could be a hedonist in like a fucking cave with nothing in it probably she would find a way to be a hedonist yes right and yeah and then granny is quite aesthetic 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 not as in aesthetic god those are two words that sound very similar and different thing it's still aesthetic though isn't it a-s-c-e-t-i-c oh yeah yeah aesthetic yeah um, anyway monk like <laughs> yeah she's kind very of, um stoic del- yeah stoic um i don't even mean that i mean aestheticism like minimalism yeah like that's having, what I mean. having nothing yeah yeah that's what i mean by stoic is in stoicism and this idea of not having a lot of frippery and Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just but a deliberate, deliberately depriving herself of things because she feels like that's the morally correct thing to do somehow. Yeah, it's sort of a deliberate choice to be very within her means, means and not expect any more. And I, one of the great things we get with Granny's sort of character development as we go on is her wrestling with what that means within herself. Yeah. Uh, so she, you see her sort of cowed and accepting maybe there's nothing we can do for a moment in this whole situation with the land being unhappy and this evil duke yeah because it should be within her means to have a say in it and then you see her eventually cast that off and fixing things because that's what she does yes yeah 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 she's like that's the whole point of it that we don't meddle but then really She's someone who has very, very strict rules for herself and is almost completely willing to break those rules all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like we already already talked in uh, Equal Rights about her amazing confidence where she will not accept that she doesn't know something. Mm -hmm. You know, of course she knows what theatre is, despite not getting it at all. Yeah. And there's a lot of kind of like, oh, I don't expect anything more than what I have. But then you're like, but because it always happens to me anyway, I'm going to be outraged when I don't have it suddenly. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't expect recognition and parcels being delivered to me of old clothes and food. And, uh, but I'm sorry, it's not happening now. What is this fucking outrage? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I yeah. love the uh, dynamic of witches within like the places they live and work mm. and what they do for other people, and the way they help people and fix their backs and their health problems. Partly because it, you know, it harkens back to old traditions of village wise women mm-hmm. uh, who were very much a thing. And obviously a lot of them got burned at the stake as witches. Yeah, it's cool that although the main place that we have the witches' stories is very respectful of witches, which is nice because then the story doesn't have to revolve around being persecuted for being witches. There is a lot of acknowledgement of that persecution outside of this nice area. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And also, you know, it gets to a bit persecuty at some points and also the losing people taking them seriously, which is the important uh-huh. thing to them is that they are respected yeah. and taken seriously. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, really... like the status quo in Lanka is that the the witches are respected, are respected which is nice. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So yeah. witches, fucking excellent story arc. I'm looking forward to all of the witches books. I yes. think. I think although I do oscillate between which book is my favourite, I would at this point 
dare to say that the witches are the best written characters of Fratches. You're going to disagree with yourself in two books time, but okay. No, I'm not sure I am. I'm not sure I am, because although I like, I know who you're going to say, although I like those other characters, I'm not sure that they are as unique to Pratchett as these witches are. They also don't start off quite as well written. Mm. That's a growing curve, whereas this starts off on a high and never really drops. Yeah. Anywho, so yeah, Sorry, that's not that's discussing my... future books. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will stop vaguely alluding. Portending. Portending? Portending. Portenting. Portenting. I portent, you portent, he, she, he, it portent. She portent. <laughs> they canglid. <laughs> I hanglided. Um, Hanglid. Do you want Dissinia? Needs a bit of exercise? Uh, oh, we missed one. Temporal blur. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. Well, it was um, such a temporal blur that I missed it entirely. Francine, marvellous. This is King Verence. Mm-hmm. Um who has never really been frightened anything of anything. This is really early in his description. Um, partly because he didn't have the animation, but he's also one of those rare individuals that are totally focused in time. Mm. Most people aren't. They live their lives as sort of temporal blur around the point where their body is, anticipating the future or holding on to the past. Mm. Um, and they learn fear because they can sort of almost or subconsciously tell what's always gonna ha- going to happen to them. And in this case, obviously, it's fictional and it's fantasy. But I thought it was a really interesting concept. It is. I mean, he has achieved Zen. Mm. Going back, going back to what the fool was on about. Um, Zen is literally accepting yourself within your present moment and not mm-hmm. dwelling on past or future. So I thought it was a really fascinating thing to acknowledge that this guy has achieved that ability to not be dwelling on his past or constantly anticipating the next thing, while being kind of just a big stupid king going rah and hunting. Yeah, and now he's been forced into this situation where he needs to plan. And, and think and, and yeah and might even have time to regret things and it's like oh no but yes i feel like we could all do with being a little bit more like ghost king verence do we ever find out what happened to the boy's mother no i i think i had that noted at some point in the book but yeah we don't because the boy's two at this point mm-hmm. when verence gets killed he obviously and at the end is of- he two yes yeah. of course because a year later he's three yeah yeah <laughs> good maths Francine because then 15 years later he's 18 yeah obviously with all the events of the end of the book and I won't talk about them too much till we're there that, that relies very heavily on the boy having a mother but yeah she's no longer around and I don't think it's ever explained what's happened to her I'll keep an eye out just in case you meant you, you flitted over it somewhere although I can't imagine you did um, no because hmm. I was I was looking for it I was very yeah curious. oh you were okay yeah um, I mean, my guess would be died in childbirth, something like that. But yes, women do do that. I'll so have I a look think... on the forums to see if Patrick ever mentioned it. But hmm. yeah, Dratus and Yer. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, why not? The Felmer Felma is saying is thinking about how if he didn't have the Duchess's ambition, he'd be just another local lord with nothing much to do but hunt, drink, and exercise his Dratus and Yer, <laughs> which he imagines is some sort of large hairy dog. It was nearly my off. It wasn't quite obscure enough. <laughs> There's another reference to it later in this section, I think, as well, where they talk about uh-huh. the uh, the king's drotsenier. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Big, awful, hairy thing, and how many a couple got their start in life due to that. Which, 
it just I get why it's being joked about and it is kind of a funny joke but it is also so the Drottsenia is also known as uh, in Latin as prima nocte and is this idea of the right for a feudal lord to have sex with a new bride slash any woman and quite often compensating them for them for it afterwards but obviously mm-hmm. there's a definite consent problem there what with the lack of what, what with the power and balance <laughs> yes definite lack of consent. <laughs> yeah um there's very little evidence this was actually ever a thing not in the way it's usually referenced in medieval europe anyway like i i think there is some evidence some more direct evidence that it was a thing in various other civilizations a lot longer ago yeah one of the oldest references to it is in herodotus's histories in one of those stories most of the references to it oh okay so that's quite indirect as well though isn't it yeah yeah most of the references to it are in some form of fiction but then if you look at kind of older history older history the line between fact and fiction is very blurred especially when you start looking at ancient roman stuff because history was a form of entertainment rather than fully factual yes yeah most of the stuff people believe is true about boudicca is based on something written 50 years later that's based on the story of the rape of lucretia huh sorry that was a segue yeah (laughs) bloody hands segue into what (laughs) bloody hands (laughs) tangent um but it's just it's a slightly gross kind of i'm not saying it shouldn't be there and it does make sense and it's a bit funny it is but it's it's but it is also yeah. a rude joke. It is, but it's kind of fit into the same attitude they've got about his hunting people, which is equally as gross. And oh yeah, like and the whole thing is just they're weirdly accepting of the rapey man hunty. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> he was a because, proper king. Yeah, uh, and he was quite honest about his terribleness. And then he, he you know, he give someone a bit of cash, let them go. Um, give them some nice silverware. Rebuild the house if you remembered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, it is. It fits a lot more there than there's a horrible, there's a really, really weird, out of character, pointless use of that joke in a mo- uh What's the, like the second Avengers film? There's a whole thing where they're all having a go at lifting Thor's hammer. Uh and uh tony stark iron man goes to lift the hammer and says if this works i'm reinstituting the right of prima nocta right and it's like you weird like doesn't work isn't if you think about especially it's tony stark who's never liked that and yeah he's a for a very very toxic male character he's weirdly not rapey (laughs) oh our bar sometimes is quite low (laughs) well Anyway, he's not that toxic male, is he? He's a bit of a like. I've only really seen the first movie. Well, no, I mean it's implied that before the whole Iron Man, he's definitely a bit of a playboy oh, sure, character, sure, sure. and he doesn't really yeah, take yeah. his actions seriously. Yeah, uh, but, and I think you know, that's that has. If Nanny a lot more Og had millions comments. of dollars. I think she'd be the same. <laughs> You're saying Nanny Og could it's be a toxic Iron male Man. stereotype? Yes. <laughs> I'll take. <laughs> I feel like we've gone too far, Francine. All right, yeah, fair enough. Um, are you done talking about the big hairy thing? Yes. Did I mention <laughs> I've got Nanny Og's cookbook, by the way? Um, you didn't, and I would like to hear more about that at some point. I'm going to try and make some recipes. I know, I know we oh, can't be. That'll in the be same a fun room, bonus thing one day. I'll do some. Re- I'll do a. Oh, cooking we could cook tutorial. one together one day. Yeah. Yes. That would be, be fun. Right. Um, hmm. Which three gifts, if you were having to sort a kid out, 
would you give it, it out <laughs> sorry i'm not very maternal um if you were to bless a child with gifts to carry it carefree carry it carry them carefree <laughs> through life what would you give this charming little impling jesus ronson <laughs> i Doesn't saw that you, me does it i saw that you'd put this in but like just as i printed it before we started recording so i've not oh, thought sorry. about this at all yeah okay cool well do you want to hear mine first then yes do yours and then i'll think of something because it sent me off thinking about like a conversation we've had before possibly not on the podcast was about um like the three things we find either attractive or interesting in people and how they were quite different yes um and then i thought right three things that would i think set somebody up and there's, I think the tendency at this point is always to think about what you're lacking that would have made life easier. And so I imagine there's a lot of things we take for granted that perhaps without we would not do as well. Yes. Um, but so the, the three I came up with were uh, financial security, mm-hmm. uh, not wealth, because wealth can bring its own problems, but financial security, because while money, lots and lots and lots of it doesn't necessarily bring happiness, the lack of poverty stress yes it's definitely gonna you know chivy you on a little bit in life um the second is motivation which Mm -hmm. is a much rarer trait than discipline and those who are genuinely motivated to get up and go and do whatever i think have a much easier life than the majority of people who do well in life who actually train discipline into themselves i have neither of course Um, (laughs) partly connected to my lack of number one (laughs) and then number three i wasn't quite sure so I thought curiosity because that's one we both had on like things we find attractive in people, but then curiosity can be dangerous if we're not giving a few caveats. And I feel like these magic things are a little bit monkey paw, aren't they? And then ditto empathy is a bit difficult. It was like, empathy is good, but could be pretty, like it's not necessarily going to set you up well in life. Um, So I I think I'd just take Magrat's one. I'm nicking Magrat's one and saying making friends easily. Yeah. It's just a really nice one. And, that's what made me love Magrat a lot, actually, in this section, was her going, I hope he makes friends easily. That was just the sweetest thing. Because because part of what she's looking for with Nanny and Granny is friendship as much as it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and she's gone to these sort of older women who she can learn from. But she's yeah, also very not some kind of Exactly, yeah. It's not some kind of consolidation of power, is it? It's like she's imagining this lovely fucking knitting group or become whatever it's like a she yeah she wants support not she wants uh she wants peers yeah peers yeah that's a good way of putting it um okay i'm still thinking being peerless is not as impressive as it sounds no it is a very lonely thing speaking as two peerless people (laughs) god i'm so lonely here at the top the fucking top we might be at the top who knows we haven't seen anyone else in weeks <laughs> maybe everyone else is doing really shit <laughs> oh god i hope so hey, you're wearing pearls and lipstick which i'm gonna go and scrub my off hair's got minute. long enough to put in a ponytail now look at this bullshit i was meant to have amazing. a haircut three weeks ago well as you've put a lot of uh sincere and intense thought into yours and i'm uh-huh. just coming up with these off the cuff yeah off your beautifully tailored cuff may i say Joanna? I can't see your cuffs. Oh, you've got bare wrists. All right, fuck it. Go on. <laughs> the ability to breathe underwater. Excellent. Because I've always wanted to be a mermaid. I mean, not like actually because like your hair would go to shit, but I just quite like the Sex idea of being Sex is a to... lot less fun. Well, yeah, you just 
my ex. Okay, I want to <laughs> be able. I want to be able to just walk on the seafloor and look at fish. Cool, cool. Yeah. So the ability to breathe underwater. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sorry, I'm still thinking. Even coming up with bullshit ones is hard. I just want to say you want to stick to the shallows because we've all seen deep water fish. Oh, let's Ugh. not talk about deep sea fish. Well, yeah, that's why I'm giving them the ability to breathe underwater, but not the ability to withstand 10,000 leagues of pressure. Ah, I see. Yes. Okay. The ability to breathe underwater. A good sense of humour. Hmm. Yes. Because I feel that's greatly underrated, and I know I joked about it, uh, but the ability to laugh and find the humour and joy in things... I was going to say, do you mean as in you are a very funny person or you can find the funny side of things? Finding the funny side of things. I feel like life calms down a lot when you can look at something that could be incredibly stressful, see the inherent ridiculous of it and laugh. Speaking as two joyless feminists. Speaking as a joyless (laughs) feminist socialist. (laughs) Sticking a purple post-it note on that wish, Joanna. Very problematic. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) Okay, so a sense of humour, the ability to breathe underwater. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, You're not allowed to say tongs for arms. <laughs> damn it. The ability to do really cool backflips. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, Just, cool. Because I really want to, but I don't want to put the work in that would make me the kind of person who could do backflips. So I'd like it if they can just like automatically like, fuck it. Do a backflip, look cool. Mm. You know, the dreadful thing about the chaotic nature of the universe is I'm not sure whose blessed child is going to end up better off here. <laughs> my, <laughs> mo- my motivated... Uh, what, oh, fuck me. What's the word for when you get on with people? Well, not agricultural. Um, <laughs> gregarious. <laughs> my motivated gregarious farmer, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Or my giggling dickhead backflipping into the sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I've basically created is a child that will point and laugh at you and then give you the finger while backflipping into the ocean. <laughs> which is all I want to be. I know, Joanna, I know. Well, when we're working in my cybernetic enhancements, we'll see if we can't get you some gills. <laughs> Excellent. Well, ability to breathe underwater but not gills, because I want to be able to be on land as well like sealable gills like you know those freezer bags you know oh yeah that would be good yes (laughs) all right cool uh unoppressible people sorry sealable gills name of my new indie band nice (laughs) unoppressible people joanna can you oppress them you cannot tell me why so this is the duke again wishing he was on the planes rather than the things and it goes back down to our idea i think of geography and how it affects the people if you Back down on the planes, if you kicked people, they kicked back. Up here, when you kicked people, they moved away and just waited patiently for your leg to fall off. How could a king go down in history ruling a people like that? You couldn't oppress them any more than you could oppress a mattress. (laughs) And the same thing with these people being very accepting of this dickhead king who used to hunt people. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I see that. Yep. (laughs) I think if you live in like a ridiculous area with lots of geography, like the Ramtops, as opposed to somewhere flat like Suffolk. Yeah. You're so used to like, oh, I'm possibly going to have to climb a massive hill and then get beaten up by a sheep today. That yeah. you don't have time to kick back and you will just sort of go, well, it's going to come around in the fullness of things. Yeah, it's kind of, yes. While you don't have time for stuff, you've kind of got a sense of uh, uh, of the of history in a way. And if you'd like the, a sense of how much time there is, like, okay, this too shall pass kind of thing. Yeah. Which also I think is in it, like when people 
compare America and England. I think it was Neil Gaiman who said, like, England has history, America has geography. Yes, yeah. And Lanka has both. Yeah. <laughs> because England has such a long, long history, um, it is sometimes kind of possible to look at something and go, in the grand scheme of things, this shall come around again. Yeah, yeah. Wonder if that's even more so the case in places with even much longer histories. Like, I've, obviously, I've just never lived in places like India or the Middle East, which have thousands of years of history more than we do. Oh yeah, I mean, we were still scrabbling around in the dirt while some African cultures were developing. Yeah, but you know, you know, superior imperial dirt, <laughs> good British dirt. None of that foreign muck. <laughs> Literal muck, like it. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a, yeah, that's a good part to pick out, actually. I didn't stop on that for too long, but now you've said it, I like it very much. But I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the, the Lord Felmet's frustration yeah. at not being able to do anything to oppress people. And we were talking before about his motivation being power for power's sake, and once you get beyond that, there's very little motivation. But there is some of it there. He wants to go down in history as a king as a ruler but he's sort of struggling to find any way to do it when these people just don't really care who's king yeah 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 how do you take the satisfaction in beating someone if they don't care that they've been beaten exactly it's like uh oh it's a very silly thing in a um book i really like about uh that's about people writing letters to each other and someone does something awful and then this person is up writing letters to them and not getting any back and it's like at first i wanted to get the last word but now it feels like i'm just swinging a ball and nothing's bouncing back and it's making my arm feel funny oh yeah that's nice yeah huh. anyway so i thought that was an interesting thing to pick up on and then the next page like we it. have the ridiculous hiring candle we, see we did miss when we were talking about the hiring candle joke that part of the joke involves patting someone with a balloon on a stick and twanging your mandolin uh yes do you have a mandolin a mandolin to twang or indeed a balloon stick to I don't twangle? have a balloon on a stick i mean i can grab a ukulele and twang it if you like but it's the other side of the room um speaking of jesters people do not go to the theater to laugh did no. you know that, um yes Yes, depends on the theatre. I don't oh, know, the, no. plays, the plays we go to usually laugh. One laughs, this is, we she it's a line, laughs. <laughs> it's a line from Vitola and he's sort of arguing with Huel about what they're going to write and what they're going to stage. And Huel's trying to say that people want a bit of a chuckle. And Vitola's saying, my boy, people do not come to the theatre to laugh. They come to experience, to learn, to wonder. And Huel's mm-hmm. like, yeah, they came to laugh. Yes. And this, I, Part of the reason I point that out is because in preparing for this, I wanted to watch a production of Macbeth and uh-huh. everyone was talking about this Patrick Stewart one that was on, that's just come up on Amazon Prime. Sure. And, oh, fuck me, it was so dull. Oh, was it? Oh, tell me about it. What did they do with it? it is it just, modernised? Is it? It's sort of semi-modern. They're in military uniforms. I think it's meant to be kind of World War One, World yes. War Two. Ugh. Oh, do you know, um, I hate more than stuff set in the World Wars. It's stuff that wasn't meant to be set in the World Wars, changed to be set in the World Wars. It was, it was definitely set in some sort of war, although like, I didn't watch the whole thing. I'm trying to get better at it. If I'm not enjoying something, I don't have to sit through the whole thing. And I could Correct. not be asked to sit God, through God, once you master it, can you teach Jack? He's been reading oh. the same shit book for months because he can't bring himself to read the last 85 pages. I can't do it. I can't do it quite as well with books, to be fair. 
look at how long it, and it w wasn't even a bad book because it was stressful to read how long it took me to read wanderers i uh, used to not be able to do that but the silmarillion broke me and since then i've been all right so it's one good thing that book did the silmarillion has broken a lot of people um it was just all the lighting was really like it was lit to be dark yeah all the colors were very muted even the blood was muted that's very in still isn't it it is very in. I don't know how recent it was. I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously the acting is amazing. I mean, it's Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart's great. I can't yeah. remember who was playing Lady Macbeth, but she was fucking brilliant as well. Like, it was well done. It was just muted colours Macbeth has been done. So and I, know, I know it's a tragedy. I know it's a depressing play where a woman kills herself after killing someone else. Like, I know it's a tragedy. Romeo and Juliet's a tragedy, and look at what Baz Luhrmann did with it literally in glorious technicolor it runs around like mad it's a beautiful film um and it's still one of my favorite like screen shakespeare adaptations and there are there is room for lightness and maybe Le not lightness there levity is, yeah there is room for levity there is room for humor there is room to look at macbeth and go this insane power struggle is ridiculous mm -hmm. and let yeah. people relax while they're watching it People do come to the theatre to laugh. And I'm not saying every play should be funny. Yeah. I'm but saying... Yes. Every play should have some energy that you can kind of engage in. Yeah, you shouldn't feel obliged to sit there and frown through the three hours of oh, God, no. talking. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like we... Um, did you come see that really good production of Twelfth Night? Where a friend of ours got drunk and was a bit of a dick. They, they did it in one act and they it was fun they were handing out pizza to the audience and, and um, okay so 12th night is meant to be a comedy like it's a funny play yeah um and they had the audience up on stage doing a conga line and people up doing a tequila con drinking contest during one of the party Wait, scenes what? i don't think i actually did go to that i just think you told me about it in such depth i can see it there was a guy now i'm remembering you telling me about it yeah it was a great play yeah yeah, yeah. sorry yeah tequila but we had a we had a friend who came to see the show with us and he left like 45 minutes in he was like i didn't come i came to see shakespeare not laurel and hardy does shakespeare and it's like mate yeah. it's a fucking comedy stop putting it on a pedestal yes yeah. it's overdone yes shakespeare and classic plays are commissioned a lot more than new writing and that's going to happen more in theater after the lockdown because theater's got was it marco or paul who stormed out marco because he came back afterwards for the Q&A and was really rude to the actors to the point where we went and apologised to them. It was really I rare. saw you in the pub afterwards. Yeah, I was not happy. Anyway. Anyway. It's just these things, and that's why I like, you know, parodies. I mean, and Weird Sisters is great because it does not hold stuff as a sacred text. It parodies it. Sure. Um, it's a bit like, you know, we were joking about getting a negative review. Re oh my God. Negative ragu. Lovely, we're tackling Negative ragu. <laughs> Look, Joanna, I know that Italian food is serious business, but there has to be room for levity. This is enough negative ragu. Have you seen, like, angry Italians in comments on recipes, though? Because that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they're all Americans. Yeah, yeah. The I Am Very <laughs> Culinary subreddit is one of yeah. my very favourites, and I'm glad you showed me that. Anyway, this is a much longer tangent than it needs to be. I'm just saying theatre does not need to be a bit... Theatre is entertainment. The point is to entertain, not going and frowning at a stage for three hours. Correct. And then saying afterwards, well, wasn't that enriching? Of course, cool. speaking of three hours. Yeah. I'll get to my final point quickly then, which is just... Uh, and it, we'll come back to this a bit more in the next couple of books, but the power of words and propaganda mm -hmm. as brought up by the fool saying rather than uh, 
you know, burn the witches, stab the witches, kill the witches, torture them. Yeah. He's saying, fight them with words. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that Terry Pratchett interrogates that so well. Yes. And I think, as you said, we shall get to that as we get to it. Yes. It starts here in this section. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do let's do a little foreshadow because I think this is this is something we'll definitely talk a lot. Definitely about something about a lot I don't I don't want to rush through. I don't want to yeah. rush through this. Yeah, we'll talk about that a lot more in the next episode. Cool, cool. So yes, the power of words, power of propaganda. The the idea that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can fuck you over proper. I think yes. is the correct phrase. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. That's what we were taught in primary school. Yeah, yeah. It's got yeah. a nice rhythm to it. <laughs> right, and with that front scene, do you have an obscure reference? I do. Uh, On page 68, they're talking about the solitary standing stone who still cannot be counted, despite there only being one of them, which is quite a sweet little geographic landmark. Um, But um, that is... Again, I'm never sure how obscure things are. And I feel like this is probably one of those things that's obscure if you don't live in certain parts of the world and otherwise quite commonly known, which is... In the various megalithic monuments around England and Wales, um, there are a lot of places with standing stones or some of the long barrows have a lot of stones around them. And a very common myth, bit of folklore that pops up around these things is that they can't be counted. You can count these stones as many times as you like and you'll always come up with a different number. Everybody will come up with a different number. And obviously the, the implication there being elves fairies whatever the change things behind you all the stones get up and dance and el- general eldritchery um it portents a bit occasionally if, if portenting is a word then so is eldritchery joanna uh, <laughs> so yeah stonehenge is obviously the famous one um 93 if you're curious uh, but that's including the broken bit so you might come up with a different number altogether continuing ah. that lovely bit of myth but the Rollwright stones on the Oxfordshire-Warwickshire border seem to be the ones who are really holding on to that as part of their mystery. I'll link to it in the thingy. Show, uh, notes. show notes, thank you. I can remember the word aldritchery, which does not exist, but I cannot remember the Google Doc that is in front of my... Face. Face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you seem like you've forgotten the word again there. I had, I had forgotten my face. <laughs> So yeah, that was it. Um, Beautiful. The, 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 the uncountable Francine. stone. <laughs> I love it. And on that note, I think that uh, that's bringing us towards the end of the podcast. Outro me. Outro play, you. Play me out, maestro. Thank you for listening to The Tree Shall Make You Fret. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at The Tree Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at The Tree Shall Make You Fret, and you can see our Wednesday headcanon threads there, which we're having yeah, lots of Yeah, we got with. really good at Twitter. Yeah, we like that. Uh, well, really good is, is a push. People have engaged with it. I'm told engagement is what we wanted. So We're enjoying it. It's fun. Follow yeah. along if you like that sort of thing. You can email us, the tree shall make you fret pod at gmail.com. Please send us your lyrics for The Hedgehog Can Never Be Buggered At All. Yes. That was hard to get out in one breath. <laughs> and until next time, dear listener, don't let us detain you. Sorry. Let me move slightly further back from the mic. I'm not used to... Ah! Fuck! Bollocks.
One second. I just spilled a can of Diet Coke up my own ass. You keeping Diet Coke on the sofa? Well, it was behind me. But that doesn't make it better, does it? I use that part of the sofa as a drink shelf. You fucking savage.